don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart, I have but one desire. And that one is you, no other will do. I've lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just want to be the one you love. And with your admission that you feel the same, I'll have reached the goal I'm dreaming of. Believe me, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. I don't want set the world on fire, honey. I love you too much. I just want to stop a great big flame down in your heart. You see, way down inside of me, darling, I have only one desire. And that one desire is you. And I know nobody else ain't gonna do. I've lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just wanna be the one you love. And with your admission that you feel the same. I'll have reached the goal I'm dreaming of. Believe me, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. Hello, everybody out there. Okay, namaste and shalom, everybody out there in dreamland. This is Rumors of Instinct, and I am very honored to be reaching you today through a new platform, this one being Instagram TV. I had intended it to be a live, but unfortunately, I am in Instagram prohibition uh, status currently due to a couple of photos that were removed due to inappropriate something or um um inaccurate facts or something basically my channel's in a little prohib um kind of uh prohibited status right now from broadcasting live which i didn't even know was a thing 
but I'm going to be posting this video up on the Instagram TV for posterity and start using my Instagram to start loading um, these live north, east, west, and south formatted, you know, personal vlogs. In fact, I'm actually thinking about switching over to a lot more of these personal vlogs versus the memes and um, these, the kind of uh, PowerPoint uh, series of slides to... Um, you know, personalize my communications and really kind of lets you see facial expressions, eye contact, things like that. Reward you for the uh, selection of my, my uh, channel and my videos. I'm bringing you live now from the University Park and Trail, my favorite little nighttime piece uh, spot. I hope you guys can see the silhouette of a blue heron out there stalking in the night overhead you'll be hearing the droning of landing propeller craft of various kinds uh, we've had a p3 circling above but i think it already landed so hopefully the big boy is asleep for tonight and we don't have it flooded out i would have made these videos sooner except some people actually were sitting in this spot and i went to go check out other various spots and uh you know there's just too much ambient noise the school has restarted and there is much more activity seemingly this semester than there was last semester but that's understandable as they slowly start to restart and i mean like actual you know activity from the staff and stuff there's a lot more vehicles driving around parking lots are considerably fuller i was actually intending to go to the school um last year in the summer COVID happened applications froze up there was no way to communicate between uh schools or facilities because the staff wasn't allowed on the job site you know everyone was basically told to quarantine stay in place lockdown and um basically 40 bucks out of uh application fees down the drain and i had been accepted too which i think is a kick in the nads um then my va trouble started because they started they suspended my uh disability payments that reduced my rating due to my non-cooperation with the facility doctors and everything i don't want to tell you that but the va mandatorily like demanded everyone show up um out of the out of nowhere lat early last year in 2020 around january they sent letters home to everyone and basically i got one i can only speak for myself but i've heard that this was the case of many many thousands of households i mean hundreds of thousands of households um you know, statistically, a drop in the bucket to the 400 million Americans. That's why the word really didn't get around. But, of course, no one really cares about us disabled vets. Um, you know, and so, because, you know, there's politics to talk about, impeachment and shit like that. No one wants to care about the people who actually sacrifice their health and well-being. Um, sanity, uh, you know, to fight for freedom and the so-called promise of the United States dream. And it's, it's, uh kind of a universal sentiment among disabled veterans that uh while the goal was noble and honorable the the uh effort was a misadventure you know i think i think deep down everyone's heart they they kind of realize this and uh the va tries to puppet you and control you and pull your strings and is absolutely uh you know this the worst um shit show you could possibly imagine it's dog and pony show 
basically though see there's a cop pulling someone over on campus because there's just so much traffic I, I was walking through most of the trail and there were just cars i don't know what's going on maybe a game or an orientation of some kind but there's definitely a lot more activity it's also only seven o'clock seven forty-five when i'm making this video you know it's not terribly late or anything this the school is one of those weird cool schools that's open to like eight nine with like activities um, my school was like that too, where you could go on campus almost 24 hours a day and there were places with students and, uh, the library of course would be the one open latest, but, um, everything from clubs, orientations, extracurricular activities, et cetera, et cetera. I actually went, I've been walking this trail for about a year. The beginning of the year, I was actually pretty enthused and, and amazed because why I wanted to go here by how involved that they were with freshmen and stuff like that uh seemingly around campus doing scavenger hunts weird shit and you would just see them and you know and i'd sit in the courtyards and stuff and draw and write and and work on this channel work on my ideas and you know it, it kind of really made me uh enthusiastic to go back to the academic program and start learning uh getting new uh you know a new bachelor's degree to kind of join the work workforce again as a skilled uh tradesman and trades that i hadn't already been skilled in but you know those dreams uh, are not mine anymore so uh, to go back to the va thing yeah they demanded us to go back they gave us the deadline you know i called their bluff on it i was like no one tells me to go to the doctor before a specific time you know are you gonna cancel my rating that i that i deserve to get you know and i was awarded by you guys you know like fucking assholes like you give it and take it away kind of thing but you can't fight the system when they decide to fuck you over because they will fuck you over you can resist you can you can protest and everything but they will still be doing their best to fuck you over and they dropped the rating to from 40 to 10 and then they dropped my payment off from a monthly 600 to um it's 140 now i think it's 120 now between 140 now and uh, a month and then they decided to audit me and say that I had owed taxes or something from a previous state that I lived in while I was receiving my benefits. Um, I think they said uh, Louisiana because I was living in Louisiana for a little bit that I owed taxes on this money to the amount of $3,000 but I was going to be uh, basically had a lien put on me so that that $140 was going to be taken uh, directly from them to pay themselves back like they would they would kind of like pull out the money here's your 140 that you that you get free disability but nope this is ours because you still owe us and unless you pay us extra money then we're going to keep doing this until uh, the sum squared away the debts repaid it'll take approximately three years um I'm about nine months down of that three years. So, you know, I won't be seeing a dime from my service or my VA or my disability or anything like that, nor will I probably be able to access any of my benefits, uh, such as, you know, the GI Bill and things like that. Um, I know as unfair as it is, that's the New World Order, and they were killing people and stuff in the hospitals, so it's not like... Uh, I was going to get off any easier. I think that's what they tried to do to me originally was um, inject me with uh, 
you know, the virus and then, and then say that I had caught it through the, you know, unsanitary conditions of the VA and, and just be another statistic because once one person, they just, you know, hook you up, hook me up on the ventilator, my lungs would suffer damage. And then of course that ventilator would, uh, finish me off, you know, and that would be, it's a, it's a fatal apparatus, especially if doped up and kept, uh, sedated and everything in a hospital setting. Uh, especially if I had trusted them and been so gullible as to accept any kind of injection they had. Do they? Once I tried to go simply to get a checkup and to uh, see about hyperhidrosis or anxiety attacks or something, because I kept sweating, and I think it's actually a product of heat stroke due to having to work in very unsafe conditions outdoors in this environment, this very hostile environment. Uh, basically, if I'm exposed to any kind of sunlight for any real substantial amount of time, like over 15 minutes to a half an hour, I will start hyper sweaty. I will start becoming um, almost disoriented by the amount of sweat I am uh, actually generating. And say like a shirt like this would be completely uh, soaked through. My hat would actually start dripping dye. Uh, you know, I lose pints and pints of water uh, that way. Because that's a reaction of heat stroke as your body goes into this hyper, hyperactive response due to its, you know, near fatal exposure to internal body temperatures and things like that. You know, what's, what doesn't kill you makes you stranger. Um, and it's, a, it's an actual disability. It's, you know, I'm trying to get treatment for it. I just can't. I don't have any access to a doctor. I don't really have any knowledge of a free doctor service that would vouch for me and give me the recommendations to get the disability paperwork and all that stuff, you know, exactly time is money. And I really have $10 to my name currently. So if you guys would like to donate and help me out, a dollar from each of you would greatly help out, you know, over time, uh, everything counts in small amounts. And I'm just asking for a dollar, uh, you know, to start with, if you have the goodness of your heart to donate anything else, that'd be sincerely appreciated. And you can either DM me to get the specifics about that, uh, patreon.com. You know, slash rumors of war 1987, paypal.me, slash rumors of war 1987. That was my original channel's name. That was my original uh, persona. And I changed it due to the, um, due to the increase of visibility with this name, due to the name that, you know, it immediately pops out. And then there's a, there's, you know, there's something to say about creating a, a unique, easily findable, like I'm trying to play. The, the creator game, as it were, because, you know, even William Cooper, I'm trying to channel my inner William Cooper. I'm trying to use the system as it stands to reach as many people within the system to wake them up and let them see the system for what it really is and what's really out there and what's really around us and the experiences of their neighbors, their experiences that they are suppressing in themselves to regain that humanity, to regain the sense of perspective and the sense of wonder at the mystery, at the, at the unexplainable phenomenon of dealing with this intelligence that's within ourselves and the intelligence within the nature, intelligence of all life. Now, that being said, you know, $1 a day will help me do things like afford uh, food, in the immediate time, as well as uh, provide for uh, my personal needs, you know, like going to a doctor, getting health insurance, getting that, that disability payment set up with the state and all that, as well as uh, 
supporting things like, you know, paying for like my, my car, my gas, my actual living things like my phone bill. These will keep me, you know, funded. I just ground level things. Um, so, you know, your money's being used to a good cause. I don't have any additional support. I don't have a trust fund. I don't have any kind of uh, additional support besides myself. And so if I'm going to be committed to creating full-time videos in this incredibly um, rich but neglected marginalized genre of personal accounts of the mysterious personal accounts of, um, of gnosis and exploration of the truth via the um, disclosure of suppressed or... Um, you know, kept hidden types of phenomenon. I hope everyone can see this. There is a huge caravan of pelicans. One, two, three, four, five, six pelicans currently. Well, let me try it. Maybe these outdoor cameras, there you go. Maybe that could work a little better, better. Huge caravan of, ping of pelicans. Looks kind of like a sea monster, huh? Kind of like a series of spikes going through the water, but the water is only about a foot deep at the deepest in this entire uh, lagoon. I think where they're standing, it's about six inches deep. This is why I come out here. The serenity, the healing of nature. But yeah. Um, back to what I was saying about before we get another dollar thing is, yeah, I'm trying to afford to get all my shit together that way and get my head, my medical care switched off from the VA, which it was since 2014, uh, when I got out of the service, I was declared disabled, you know, 2013, 2014, when I got off the Navy's medical, um, medical, um, plans and then kind of went civilian. My, my relationship with them has completely turned south from someone who actually believed in them and thought what they were doing was helpful for veterans and someone who thinks that they are a part of this um, depopulation program that we have running called eugenics that we've had running in this country uh, for hundreds and hundreds for hundreds of years you know regardless of whether or not you were wanting to call it the idea of animal husbandry for the human being but I digress that's not what this in fact, I think I've kind of talked enough about why I'm making this video, what I'm, what I'm doing, what's going on right now with me when I'm making this video. But let's talk about good things. Let's talk about the positivity that I'm writing, timeline shift, Mercury retrograde, that uh, we are actually starting to see a shift for um, waking up for actual enlightenment, for actual awakening. Uh, the choice between timelines is ours and because I want this one to be where my identity has no secrets I want to provide my account again I've done so several times but this time I'll hopefully to include more detail about my encounters with extraterrestrials with visitors with ultra-terrestrials interdimensional entities um, other intelligent species that you know um i 
personally am not convinced that they're not originally from Earth. Different competing versions of Earthlings from different competing timelines that are running parallel from to each other are maybe different ancient epochs where every society will eventually invent time travel technologically advancing to the point where they can manipulate and become quantum immortal um you know existing in their own created pocket dimensions and universes or what we would know as a simulation theory and creating planets thereof um you know originating from these planets so they for example would create a universe much like the rick and marty episode episode where they create a universe for a specific reason um to serve as a battery some kind of power source inside this universe an intelligent life form evolves gains access to the ability to trans uh port itself between realities and stuff because of its unchecked progress um does so becomes a competing species able to create universes themselves does create those universes and then becomes effectively the same god that uh it was created by intelligently designing the universe um to suit a greater ulterior purpose which itself will then become able to do and regenerate thus adding an infinite amount of these simulation worlds or these artificial universes within a natural um original biological universe in the sense, philosophical sense that it is the one thing that is a priori and what we would refer to as nature or reality like the truth um thus created the idea of the vedic understanding of we're in vishnu's dream you know we are we are dreaming we were a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream that the gods are dreaming and that the universe itself is a materialized version of this energy which is its own imagination and creativity um so basically that's a little background on my own um and takeaway from all these experiences but i will kind of leave you to peruse my portfolio of work to peruse my um library if you were because my opinions have been kind of evolving and growing but i have made a number of videos regarding the many different aspects of this phenomenon that i'm both aware of and have experienced these are just my personal chronology of actual encounters and they're not all of them these are just the highlighted ones these are just the ones that kind of embody but one specific encounter with each that i have encountered i have not encountered them all but i am aware of um the distinction between astral contact and physical contact and these are in the physical contact spectrum these are actual physical encounters that i've had not dreams not not ideas of um transcendental states of awareness that i've had uh which have been which were called epilepsy for a long time but they were actual um visitations with let's say high strangeness uh, beings of of either uh higher vibrational realms or extremely lower vibrational realms let's just say that during the 2012 timeline shift this is when all that epilepsy started by the way which is why I'm a disabled veteran because they would try to say it was a that is not important point is that was when this was all happening so this is a basically a lifelong thing that everything I've done in my life has been after and during these events the first event i remember experiencing was 9 years old 
This was my true my lab experience that I remember um, through memory cover and everything. But I've always remembered it throughout my life. I remember talking about it with my little brother. I remember speaking about it with people when I was in high school. It was something that was always extremely weird to me, but was extremely relevant to me because when I was in high school, it was between 2000, 2001 and uh, 2005, right? So when I was speaking about it, people were thinking that I was talking about video games, that I was dreaming about video games, but I wasn't because these had occurred to me when I was nine. And when I was nine, we only had like the Nintendo and Sega and things like that with different video games that were not militarized video games. What I have a dream of, not a dream of, a, a clear memory of, sorry, but I have a memory of, because they said I was, they're telling me I was dreaming of it, but I have a memory of being awake as a child in my room, right? TV is on, blaring, uh, married with children. My parents used to just leave the TV on and put it on like, it wasn't blast for all i know it was proportionally probably a whisper but as a child of course at nine years old when you're trying to sleep and can't the tv they put on in your room so you don't hear what's going on in the other room you know um that is like incredibly loud and distracting and that's all you can focus on and it was torture because, you know, slow time moves for a child, especially one that's only sensory um, input at the time is a pitch black room and a TV set that's on. The scene from Get Out, where the woman is hypnotizing him with the memory of the child waiting up for his mother while watching the static on TV super late at night and kind of being stuck to the chair because he's at a state where he is, he's physically not used to staying up. He's also... Uh, uncomfortable and worried psychologically and at the same time hypnotized by the hypnotizing effects of the TV. You know, now it's basically like homemade MK Ultra, right? And especially a program like Married with Children, which is teaching people dysfunction, sexually exciting, uh, the immature, as well as uh, providing nothing but hoots and hollers and monkey calls. If you ever watched that show, it's actually quite uh, disturbing how lowbrow and and pedophilic and MK Ultra like you know this is the new world order agenda of the new normal, just this terrible suburban white trash combo with the death of the middle class, etc. His death of the cultural values, death of the Protestant work ethic, and so um, while watching these things, I remember the room filling up with light, and I thought my parents had opened the door, maybe to turn on the TV, maybe to check on check on me i don't know what steps out of the doorway or of this light was a military man was a man in full parade uniform in a naval officer uniform which has not changed historically and i mean blue jacket you know, gold on the fucking uh, sleeves. Um, not only the hash marks on the wrist, but the the actual you know gold lapellets of a, of a of a real captain. You know, someone who's really important. 
you know, scrambled eggs on the hat, you know, the, the actual gold leaf and everything, the, the white hat, you know, it's, it's, it's naval officer, right? If you see it once, even as a child, I knew kind of what it was because you had seen it on TV. I had seen it on uh, movies and things like that. You know, if you watch Under Siege, they're wearing the same outfit, et cetera, et cetera. It's a naval outfit. It's extremely distinct, right? And it's been that uniform for like a hundred years. It's it's one of the oldest serving real parade uniforms, right? Same thing with the Marine Corps. And it was this naval uniform of a man who had a very friendly face, had a very friendly face. Now it's, it's not a juxtaposition. He appears, right? sound came from he appears just walks up very casually to me while i'm in my bed i, I i'm stunned i can't i can't do anything right just for the sheer like i know i'm nine i don't know what the fuck is going on i remember thinking i was gonna get in trouble like that's like you know nine you cannot compute you you don't have anywhere near the amount of experience or social skills to understand what's going on, right? I thought I was going to get in trouble for this somehow. The man came over, and he knelt down next to me. You know, I got on one knee, and he did kind of like that, that, that kind of like football coach pose, you know, where you get down on one knee, and you're like, yeah, you know, like, I'm going to talk to this little kid type thing at a bedside, like a very, very genuine bedside manner, which makes me think, I think he was part of the medical corps. Maybe he was experienced as a doctor or some kind of psychologist or something, child psychologist, for example. Like, you know, he knew a lot about child psychology, obviously, if he was going to be able to kind of put me in like this kind of hypnosis and safety state. He came over and talked to me. And he said, I was doing very well in school. And everyone was very proud of me. Everyone was very interested. Everyone. And I remember being like, thanks. Like, thanks. You know, like, I'm actually now more grateful and enthusiastic that I'm being complimented. Um, what, what later I would understand is the bias for selection or the preference to be chosen. That's a trait that certain individuals have. It's a, it's a trait they have from birth. The wanting to do tasks at levels that would be considered acceptable and by being, being praised. Basically, they live to be praised by others. They live to be congratulated. They live to be celebrated by others for their accomplishments, to be recognized, to feel recognition. I believe this is a genetic thing, and I believe this is also a thing that men all have, that all mankind has, right? That every nation has. It's, it's you're doing a good job. You want the people in authority, wherever they be, your parents, your the military, you know, whatever. You want them to be aware of you. You want them to tell you your good job. You want them to tell you that, that they're proud of you, right? It's the reason why we all do the things we do in some form or another. Men are not animals. Men do things like this, like fly planes, 
you know, we go through life experiences, we go through journeys, we tell each other about these journeys. Because we want others to praise us, we want others to recognize our journeys, our realities, to validate us. It's Lacanian psychology, it's part of being a social mammal. And so, yes, I was actually quite excited that this was occurring because I was happy to make a friend. You know, I don't have, nor have I ever had, many real-life friends, specifically because of my intelligence. It's a, it's an isolating thing. It's a burden at times, especially when I was younger and seeking the other company that other people were enjoying, developing their social skills, etc. You know, I would get there, it would just be in my own terms. Also, it would be more of a blessing than I would imagine as I was selected further and further for things like full-paid scholarships to universities. And I've always had some kind of connection with the military-industrial complex regarding my education and livelihood, right? So, this is where that all started. Basically... I was told to get up, to get dressed, and to come with him. Got up, got a pair of jeans, and I got my shoes. I got a shirt. That was a Jurassic Park shirt, I remember that. The logo, the Jurassic Park logo. And I, because it was 96 when this happened, this was 96, and I went with him. Now, I have memories of the tests and the orientations at the same time. I can tell you that nothing really severely bad happened, but this was a my lab, because my labs are military, in military-performed abductions that are very similar to alien abductions, but they are performed by high, uh, highly secretive, highly ranking, um, highly advanced elite cabals of breakaway society members in the deep military in the deep junta either from the future or uh, some kind of parallel reality or our reality um, operating in secret bases or within this kind of temporal labyrinth which is like they can operate one way through time while we're going the other way through time like tenant like the military industrial complex is alluding to the fact that they can operate in these kind of um, time lord type architecture ways where Things, structures are not uh, indicative of the area they incorporate or they have. Like something is one-sized, you know, like this is one-sized, but it can hold an infinite amount of volume because it has its own pocket dimension or some crazy shit like that, like some quantum reality um, like that, right? Like this is the kind of thing they're dealing with, that so they can stop time effectively within one moment and create an uh, infinite amount of space for them to perform these very matrix-like in hindsight um, type of like indoctrination at first of the gathering biological samples which was mostly blood and hair and skin for their cloning programs uh, performing their, their physicals as well as their psychological screenings to kind of best decide you know your acuity as well as to begin a series of psychic tests of tests of intuition empath empathy uh you kind of guard your mental and psychic ability your astral ability these were performed they were not painful or unpleasant i did not experience very any trauma really it was actually more 
enthused by the seemingly importance of it all. Like, when you take a test, a big reason why people just typically are not good test takers is because they do not understand the importance of the test that they are taking and the ramifications it has on things like their their future or whatever, right? They can't, they, they're not, they're not able to comprehend the idea of, of urgency, the concept of urgency, right? So, as they were basically demonstrating, I guess they were testing my stamina in a big way because of that. Because, you know, every time they'd give me a test, I would, I would jump at the opportunity to do it and I would do really well at it. And then they were just kind of like, you know, decide to keep increasing these tests and see of them and everything as well as the frequency of the visitations. These visitations would proceed up until high school. And high school, I believe, was around 14 to 18, right? The four years, 14 to 18. So it would kind of die off around that time. Also, at the same time, I started smoking weed. And I started really kind of exploring uh, recreational drinking. I started smoking tobacco around the age of 16. Um, you know, I became really kind of uh, living out, like, this, this very obvious anxiety and trauma and everything from these experiences uh, mostly because as time wore on from that nine to 14 year age, these experiences became more and more unexpected. Uh, you know, um, more unwanted, un, 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 uh, reciprocated type experiences where I would dread and fear uh, being visited at times because I simply wanted to be left alone. I simply did not want to experience this anymore because, you know, of course, psychologically, as you're aging from 9 to 14, you go through, um, you know, you're beginning a puberty and everything. And I, there was a time when I kind of realized and, and, like, Adam, you know, felt nude in the wilderness. I kind of realized how much of a personal violation this was of just whatever insanity and, and basically... I remember one time asking to them not to come back, like them not to be here, like them to stop. And it was as simple as that because they kind of did. And I've never, ever, ever seen um, them again in any kind of capacity, dream-wise, otherwise. So that, and sometimes I kind of wonder if they uh, were done and that was just a coincidence of it or whether or not, you know, voluntary... Um, desire to be in these programs and everything this is why they choose children because it has to be voluntary and this is why they get they're prepping people psychologically for it but at the same time between 14 and 18 i became aware of things like halo and and science fiction really like really started exploring science fiction and i felt a very powerful connection to it especially the odst orbital dropship trooper expansion as as illustrated by the the Blomkoff uh, short films, the little experimental studio shorts that he did, where they were basically um, live-action cosplay movies 
about these little operations involving soldiers, you know, teenagers being recruited as cadets and space marines and fighting aliens, etc. I started having these serious, you know, obsessions with it, and like I couldn't get enough of the lore or the stats and things like that. And I got got through the whole games multiple times. Spent hours, spent entire nights staying up literally all night playing these games. And then going to school, you know, in the day, and I just keep going cycle, and it was obviously wearing me down. And what people thought was video game addiction was actually more addiction to living out cathartically what I can only now know at were experiences within the SSP, Solar Warden, as a teenager, as, uh, you know, in this 20 year time back type uh, triangulation where you live and mature, you know, return, repeat the cycle. You know, you live, die, repeat, you know, very much like that Tom Cruise movie. Uh, uh, I don't know what it's called. I think it's called uh, Die, Die, Repeat or something. Um, live, Die, Repeat in some some versions, but it's, it was called something else. I forget the name of it. Basically, you know, you live and then you die and then you come back again. It's a cycle of weird VR training and clone life, etc. It's just, it's weird existence inside the SSP, but that's, that's another story. It's stories about the experience that I had when I was nine and the chronology afterwards. Grays. Let's go with the grays. A very powerful gray experience that I had was um, in the Navy. I remember I had just done uh, Watch One Night, right, which was the... Uh, four-hour mini-watches that basically we had to do our little shifts, and then we had eight-hour watches all night, right? So basically, uh, real rove duties and stuff like that. They were kind of preparing us in A-school for our real, you know, watchman duties and stuff, because you're a watchman first, and then you're, you're MOS second, right? And you're rating second. And basically, as a watchman, you are kind of... Um, you know, you're you're not really surprised by it. It's never really easy, though. A second, got a fish. But yeah, um. You know, and so I just done my watch. I, it was the afternoon of the day after, right? I got my rest, woke up, got some chow, went to go get breakfast, you know, came back, refreshed myself a little bit, then was laying down to go to sleep. Now, I remember you don't get duty days off and stuff afterwards. You just get a half day off. So I had to take a nap to prepare myself mentally for the day ahead, right? Now, keep that in mind. I lay down. I'm in my uniform with my boots on, right? These are Navy boots. These are boondockers. They are laced completely up. I lace them very tightly because I am a pervert. No, I'm joking. So anyway, the, the boots are laced, right? My, my trousers are tucked in, you know, boot cuffed in, uh, squared away. I'm ready just so when I wake up, I can just walk downstairs after splashing some water on my face and begin uh, the bullshit, right? Once again, another day, another dollar. I lay down, 
it's daylight, remember? The lights are not on in the room, but it's daylight. It's the middle of the afternoon. It's Pensacola, Florida. Fucking bright as hell, right? You know, shiny, fucking nice blue skies like, all the time. It's great. So the light's coming in the room. I wake up after having bright light hit my face. And it was so bright that when I opened my eyes, physically it hurt. It was blinding. As if though someone was shining a, fly- a high-powered flashlight directly into my face. Remember, it's daylight. And my first thought is someone is turning on the lights or open the window really fast, right? My roommate came in. Someone came in. And this is not unprecedented as people oftentimes come into each other's rooms. The navies to be total assholes to each other, right? Your friends, your enemies, uh, supervisors sometimes, you know, if you're fucking up. Anyway, point is, as my eyes adjust, and this is only going on in a second. I'm trying to tell you the guy's experience. My eyes adjust. I see on my like cabinet counter dresser. That's like a dresser. It's got drawers, right? It sits vertical, four vertical drawers facing, uh, like standing basically against the window. So it's like it's like bed. It's like bed, dresser, and window in the middle of the room, and then like you know another bed over here, right? So I'm in this bed dresser window right and i'm in this bed laying down i sit up right i look at the window there's a dresser on the dresser is a gray alien sitting down cross-legged looking at me and in the instant that i see this thing through the light because remember it's light cascading past it like right and sitting in front of the light locked out basically because it's so diminutive it's only about two feet tall it looks like a fucking imp or not like an imp but like an elf like a sprite like a christmas elf like like it's gray it's got pointed kind of ears right or something is kind of jutting out like this right on the sides like so it's like this right either it's a hat or it's ears something right so but the silhouette is round head very pointy chin his facial features are basically all right here in the, like this this front area right its eyes are big and they kind of wrap around i've heard a lot of theories suggesting that these eyes are actually um sunglasses or some kind of like uv blocker you know because the light they use to the traveler to work with is so bright you know they, they use it to stun people but in a non-violent way um that they have to protect themselves from it. And they might have larger than normal eyes, or they might actually not. It's just these wraparound Ray-Bans they wear, which could also be the theory that this was a type of hat with maybe like radio antennas or something like, you know, a scanners. You know, this whole thing is actually a helmet because it looks like, you know, more of like a jet, like, you know, a really nice form-fitting motorcycle helmet kind of thing. It's only two feet fucking tall, right? So I'm not like really seeing this thing for more than like seeing, imagine seeing a squirrel and having to get the details behind it, you know, or, or a cat sitting up, you know, like it's very, it's very diminutive, right? I'm just trying to say like, it's two feet tall at the very tallest. It's very diminutive. It looks extremely humanoid. I can see it. It's basically sitting like this, like with its legs crossed like this, or actually more like this, right? But not like this, where it's like, you know, it's actually more like this. 
because they had a very like weird feminine kind of like mischievous like and it's its hands are like this kind of and when it sees me it does this where it puts its hands down onto the dresser remember this is only a couple this is about like you know fraction of a moment going on right i'm looking at it as does it and it kind of realizes i'm seeing it because i'm sitting up now right like frankenstein like from the laying down like this to whoa, you know i'm seeing it right i don't even think i've taken a breath yet right i got so 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 actually like you know my drones now it's like seizing me up right? i'm paralyzed by the sight and it puts its hands like very casually like this kind of like oh like like so imagine it's like yeah sitting like this now with like two hands on the dresser like oh like the, the, the ape is awake type thing and i remember like the thing i get whenever i think about it is the great kazoo from flintstones if you guys ever watched that old school cartoon flintstones the great kazoo he's like oh dum dum like oh you cavemen are fucking stupid and it's small like like it's like super tiny compared to like the cavemen and it's, it's got this gigantic head little pointy pointy ears on its helmet like little picos on the on the thing i don't know if they're actual his ears or the, his helmet you know he's got like three of them i think and that's what it looked like like one of those things from fucking toy story where it was like you know it's it's super tiny not that chubby but super tiny with um with little picos on his head a big round head and like you know but super small like it's like two feet tall can you get it that's the point I want to get across the most. It wasn't like a three foot tall gray uh, by my bedside. It was a two foot tall thing sitting on my dresser as if it had room to spare. And it had a very cocky attitude, very kind of mischievous air about it. And it's like, kind of like, oh, you know, like, oh, it's, it sees me. Like, oh, it's awake. Like, oh, what's he going to do now? I remember this and pissing me off so much and sensing me in this rage. <laughs> this fear instantly became a rage. And I reached out and I grabbed it by the fucking throat. I remember just reaching out, grabbing it by the throat. And I had just gone through boot camp and I was in halfway through A school. I was extremely physical fit. I've always been kind of strong. This was like, you know, I think at the point my strongest I've ever been. Reaching out, grabbing this thing by the throat. And it, it had the texture, the feel of a plant of like a house plant like when you grab a house plant and you break it or when you grab a plant outside like an elephant ear or a big uh, green type of stalk not a, not a tree not a cactus or you know, I mean, like a green vegetable matter like if you grab something that's like alive and green kind of vegetation not wood but like, you know, an elephant ear or a, a, a big blade of grass or something like, you know, I don't know, like a big reed or a cattail, um, a couple of vines, like, I mean, like a vine, and like you, you, you can break it. But the thing is, it's not like crumbling. It's not breaking like a piece of wood where it, it's going to break off. It, it just, you know, bends and you could tell where like the the bend is because it's distinctly bit now but that the the material itself is fibrous and you would need a blade to cut it or you would need to make a real 
rip and tear because that's where its true strength is. It's not in the fact that it's unflexible. It's the fact that it does bend and move. Like, and the way it felt when I bent and, and, and snapped into it because when I, the action wasn't this, it was this. So I grabbed it and, it, and kind of throttled it down was chlorophyll was that that plant cell feeling of breaking plant cells of breaking that that plant tissue and having that chlorophyll sensation that that i know it sounds strange but if you've ever done that like grab a green you know uh, plant a bush something like an oleander a stalk or a piece of bamboo or you know um uh, particularly, I, I have the feeling of elephant ear, of, of house plants, you know, of actual, like, if you find a house plant that's growing, grab it and break it. And that'll be the actual sensation of what I felt when I grabbed this thing. I instantly see the light get brighter, and I lose all sense of space and time, like all reality. I am unconscious. Next thing I know, instant, like literally the next instant I am aware of, um, I am in bed again. I am laying in bed, my boots are off, and I have slept past my assigned watch time. I mean, my assigned, uh, you know, reporting for duty time. I get up, I put on my boots, there's a knock on the door, I open it, it's the, you know, the, 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 um, The guy in charge of duty, you know, for that day. The guy in charge of chores for that day, basically. Uh, you know, just like, what the hell, Viegas? You know, we're, we're, we've been waiting for you. You know, NJ now, sunshine. I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I just, you know, had late watch last night. You know, everything I just ate, maybe. I don't know what's going on. He's like, listen, it happens. I'm not going to make a big deal of it. You know, I, you know, I know. It ha he's basically, yeah, it happens. Like, he didn't say anything about it. Because I was also, you know, I, I was clearly probably visually disoriented, and, but I was dressed, you know, and it's kind of the things that were like, you know, maybe exactly. Like, yeah, that was really cool of him, besides the point. But that was how that situation ended, because then I immediately went back to, uh, you know, working, uh, having to kind of like cohabitate and survive. I didn't tell anyone immediately about that. I felt that was very strange. At the same time, my teeth started having a lot of problems. Um, I had to get several root canals, several molars pulled out. Um, this was all because the, you, you know, Navy dentist from boot camp that I was in had sent down an actual request to the dentist in Pensacola requesting that I have a full dental operation over the course of several weeks redoing all the molars, redoing as many caps as possible, really doing extensive dental surgery where they, they opened up my cheeks and everything and pulled out some some wisdom teeth, etc. That was all done. Like the days after, like immediately, like the first two days, that's when that thing started. And then that was the process and I have basically all new uh, molars on the bottom top of my jaw. This would be a theme with my entire naval career. Uh, impromptu naval surgery uh, regarding my teeth. There would be a, a, a thing every year requiring me to go in and and to do something where they would either remove or pull a tooth or replace it 
where I never had problems with my teeth before. They did something like $10,000 worth of estimated work on my mouth, just, just material, like just the actual fillings and everything in my mouth over the course of three years. That's, that's not normal. So I'm assuming the teeth had something to do with chips, implants, etc. Because I also have a, a recurring memory of um, an alien abduction experience in college where they were putting a chip inside my jaw. You know, for whatever purposes. And that goes down the rabbit hole for... Um, whether or not these my labs ever ceased whether or not these grays are in cooperation with the my labs because that abduction experience i explained happened while i was in the navy happened while i was serving while i was on a naval base uh, uh heavily guarded uh very popular base during the day and it performs naval operation naval airfare uh training and operations as a home of the blue angels for example it's a very active training base for the national guard for the marine corps the avi their, their aviation warfare uh element their wing for example naval training uh the best pilots all the pilots will go through pensacola all the air aviation uh warfare specialists will go through pensacola that is where if you're going to be selected to participate in solar warden as an enlisted person you most likely will be statistically you will probably be through pensacola through the pensacola uh machine that that whole initiation process you will, you will pass that core deck of the mega building uh pensacola is a very creepy place and on the face of it because of florida's uh, satanic issues their secret society issues as well as it being in a very strange area ge geologically especially in the water areas uh the ocean areas um a lot of weird shit that goes on in pensacola trust me like when it comes to water um you know, there's like you know stuff in it there's like you know lake monsters sea monsters type shit uh weird weird fucking gigantic sea snakes and stuff sea serpents uh or seriously like right next to the fucking coast like like where i'm right now like this was a kind of a thing that would happen in the navy there'd be these beaches there'd just be these coastlines untouched coastlines on almost every naval base I remember one time wading out and just trying to enjoy the water during the summer and then just having the sixth sense where I need to get out of the water extremely fast. That, that sudden sense of urgency where it was almost an out-of-body experience where I was telling myself, just, just run to the shore now. And I did. And when I did actually pick up and move and make that splash, that initial you know, jump to the shore, the whole... Like behind me, I guess for like ten feet, this this the water just pushed up and splashed out, as if though I disturbed it while it was trying to sneak up on me, or whether um, I was about to walk up on it while it was slumbering. And what are the odds of us intersecting? It obviously was in its natural environment. I was the one who decided to walk out there foolishly. Um, underestimating the natural uh, biodiversity and the severity of these organisms, um, the, these unexplained, uncategorized organisms, these cryptids. There is also, for example, a case of a, of a cadet who fucking died because he caught a fish and ate it from the local waters and um, apparently contracted some kind of super virus or parasite. He died from eating a fish 
it caught literally with an eyesight of the barracks that he lived in. So it's like water, and like over here would be like a barracks, you know, like right next to uh, the shore, you know, like less than a hundred like yards away, like you know, kind of like how it's of the university, you know, like there's the university, like instead of down that road, that's like the barracks, right? Um, comes down this road, catches a fish, goes up there, eats it, dies. Not choking on a bone, but dies of some kind of biological toxin. They, they banned fishing from the entire base while I was there. I was there for, I want to say, six to seven months. So, yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there was definitely uh, some weird, weird voodoo going on there, weird hoodoo. So yeah, that's uh, part one. I'm gonna upload this right now um, to to Instagram TV first, and then YouTube. Obviously, as I can bet, mirrored the library in you know, Odyssey. Check out this video. This is just part one of my extraterrestrial encounter. I'll be continuing with part two right after this. So thank you all very much for uh, listening. I'm Rumors of Instinct 1987, the human behind the Rumors of Instinct brand channel and YouTube podcast, YouTube channel, podcast, library, Odyssey. You know all that good shit. Instagram at Instagram um, or at Rumors of Instinct on Instagram. Check me out for the memes, for daily updates, for links to my videos, as well as uh, uh, exclusive productions such as this on their TV program, as well as live formats and broadcasts. So thank you all very much. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart sincerely for supporting for following me subscribing commenting reaching out and spreading uh the news spreading my word and sharing this uh early ministry so thank you all very very much god bless you and your families Missionary of a ties with me on sign. He tells the native population that civilization is fine. And three educated savages holler from a bamboo tree. That civilization is a thing for me to see. So bongo, 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 I don't wanna leave the Congo. No, 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 no. Bingo, bango, bungle, I'm so happy in the jungle, I refuse to go. Don't want no bright lights, false teeth, doorbells, landlords, I make it clear. That no matter how they coax him, I'll stay right here. I look through a magazine, the missionary's wife conceals. Magazine? What happens? I see how people who are civilized bung you with automobiles. You know you can get hurt that way, Daniel? At the movies they have got to pay many coconuts to see. What do they see, Donnie? Uncivilized pictures that the newsreel takes of me. So, bongo, 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 he don't want to leave the Congo, no, 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 no. Bungo, bungo, he's so happy in the jungle, he refused to go. Don't want no penthouse, bathtub, streetcars, taxis, noise in my ears. So no matter how they coax him, I'll stay right here. They hurry 
like savages to get aboard an iron train. The Kringalingo Hula Humble Express. And though it's smoky and it's crowded, they're too civilized to complain. When they've got two weeks vacation, they hurry to vacation ground. What do they do, Danny? They swim and they fish, but that's what I do all year round. So, bongo, 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 I don't want to leave the Congo. Shalom, back again. This is Rumors of Instinct, 1987, the man behind the Rumors of Instinct channel, brand, podcast, YouTube channel, uh, library, uh, Odyssey accounts, as well as uh, Instagram. So this is going to be going on Instagram TV. Just kind of going to give out a shout out to the, all the platforms. You can check out the links and all that stuff. If you want to support me, Patreon and PayPal, Rumors of War, 1987. Same with Library and Odyssey if you wanted an alternative to um, the big tech game and wanted to get to a third party little guy because I'm shifting my focus away from big tech platforms to more uh, power power for the people, power for the people type uh, third party alternatives. Um you know, if you want to donate through crypto, I understand that. That there's where you can do it. That's the rumors of war, 1987 original name. Uh, tied in with the wallet, I can't change it now. So basically, hope you guys are enjoying all of uh, my videos and broadcasts on whatever platform you're choosing to do so, as well as checking out these longer form interviews and special, um, special kind of uh, narrations and one on ones that I'm presenting through podcast and through this video it's good to actually you know contact and communicate with you guys on a one-to-one basis every once in a while so you know actually always so leave a comment reach out you know dm me for your chance to communicate me share experiences stories uh important collaborative business related purposes etc etc you know i'm always willing to work with every um content creator anyone who's serious about this and the truth and uh real uh, you know, counterculture type, uh, intellectual research and development of theories, you know, in this, this new 21st century, we got to get off our asses like the Americans used to get off their asses in the 1920s and create some real philosophy, create some real culture, create some real art, you know, by Americans for Americans, you know, so basically I'm hoping to kind of kick that off by sharing with you guys some real experiences of mine that have influenced me and inspired me throughout my life to kind of uh, reach the point where I am now and kind of accept the the responsibility of being aware, of being awake, you know, of being um, interactive with this universe and this world for all its very infinite amount of mysterious and uh, unexplained phenomenon. I'm going to be providing the second part of my extraterrestrial encounter list now. I'm going to be closing up. This is part two of part one. Uh, part one kind of got away with me. 
but at the same time, you know, I've never had it been a gift for brevity. I kind of don't even think I'm really elaborating too much on these cases. I'm trying to keep it as short as possible, but there's just a lot to talk about, right? That's why these videos are long form. I really probably will never master the 10 minutes or less type media format. So my inspirations are uh, old school AM radio, coast to coast AM, Bill Cooper, real uh, marathon speakers like David Icke, etc. People who are going to give you uh, your money's worth when it comes to information, uh, insight, experience, as well as, uh, you know, a talk it really comes down to it, like a good talking to. So Richard D. Hall is also a huge influence of mine when it comes to the presentation skills, etc. This is why I'm trying to engage you guys right now, because he engaged us and allowed us to kind of speak to him face to face and see him while he was, you know, experiencing the truth as well as he was going through his investigations. So in the spirit of Richard D. Hall, in the spirit of William Cooper, I'm going to be continuing this. Uh, effort. I'm going to be continuing making videos. I'm going to be continuing making contact and and content for this community, as well as uh, participating in collaborations, organizing with the figures uh, to provide events and opportunities for others. So now, the experience that I kind of want to talk about is the reptilian experience. That is quite the trip. Because my reptilian experience was strictly as an observer. It is not the same as the other two, which I think I, I, I included more together in the first video because of the similarity of the experience of abduction, of selection, of forced contact and exposure. This was a recovered memory within a memory, a recovered memory of a memory of serving in some capacity on a frozen base now geographically i am still unsure as to the actual specific location could be antarctica could have been alaska could have been montana for all i know right this could have been the fucking moon this could have been a number of, of places like greenland this could have been a fucking um, different planet you know for all i know it was frozen freezing outside this is where the memory begins because this is how the kind of recovery of memories happens is you recover the details of how it felt not what it looked like but how it felt and this is kind of how it cements the fact that it was real just this biting bitter cold frostbite on exposed skin to the point that we had to wear um like zentai suits it's hard to explain. Like, Zentai suits, like the full-body nylar one piece that you can see through, but you can't really be seen through. Like, they just look like Big Charlie, the green man outfit from Always Sunny in Philadelphia is one of them. Like, these body suits. Um, like, cat suits, but they, they cover completely the face. It's, they were kind of super popular, but now they're they kind of fallen out of it. But they're weird. And they're simple. It's very low-tech. Low it's very low-key, but those just... This is polymorph material, but it basically covered all our skin. It covered everything. Because if we had anything, it was guaranteed to freeze. But inside this, it was comfort rated to, like, you know, within the threshold that we were in right now. So we were feeling the cold, but we were kept safe. We were protected by this technology, this, this, this textile technology. And we weren't necessarily wearing so many layers as to be, 
you know, cumbersome are like Eskimos, like giant parkas or big gloves, which is why I, I, I'm very unsure as to where exactly we were because it wasn't like we were in conventional um, outfits by low, lower tech or lower funded uh, facilities. We weren't scrubs. We, these, these were actual, you know, experiences of wearing really intensely advanced um, anti-weather environmental protection. You know, like it was this type of skin suit, like a wetsuit. Uh, for most of it, it was thicker on the chest and, you know, on the, on the legs. And this padding is kind of rubber padding, but it was more like wetsuit, right? So think more of that, like Arctic weather wetsuit than real, like, uh, fur parka or thing like that. But we were completely covered. So when I looked over to other people, I could not see their faces. They looked and felt familiar to me given a proximity of, of knowing their body shape so i knew who they were so i can't recall what they look like or who they really were like you know i can't recall their identities but I, I knew i knew these people i knew i knew i trusted them right and i knew i knew i was i was with them i was amongst them i was i was working alongside i was part of this unit right i was part of this patrol whatever it was this assignment i was confident i felt secure i felt safe right we were all dressed the same we were all basically wearing um the digital camo pattern of the navy but instead of blue and silver it was black and gray black and silver right and we were wearing basically all black except for my mask which i could not see except for the reflection off of the actual mirrored surface of the reptilian that was standing in front of us and his entourage and they were wearing armor, a type of chrome, shiny, precious metal looking like silver armor. And it was like polished, like super polished and intricate. And it was like there was no exposure on any one part of them. And it looked very ceremonial, like engraved and ornate. But there were points where it was just smooth plates of, of plates of metal. And in that, I could see myself, but this is where I kind of get my interpretation of what was going on. And I had this skull mask, this, this skull imprint, this drawing on it, right? And it was like you could see that it was smiling in like almost a gesture type, you know, laughing at death. Um, and I would later go on and learn the Death Jester's logo, you know, and it looked exactly like that without the stupid gesture part. And ironically... Uh, one of my nicknames when I was younger was Joker Mike. But the only person who called me this was one of my best friends, Zoe. Because that was a reference to Full Metal Jacket, which is a movie I was obsessed about in high school. Matthew Modine's character is named Joker due to his inability to really submit to the system. And he uses humor to defend himself and protect his individuality, his identity, right? Against the insanity, the brutalizing of the system into forcing him to be a weaponized version of humanity himself, right? At least in the early days. So they call him Joker. That's his nickname. And this looked like a skeletalized face of a Joker, right? I'm getting by the point. The point is so, so Black Mask got the helmet, uh, you know, the actual, like, Spec Force helmet thing. It's got the actual um, radio headset on everything. I have the full uh, black nylon, you know, pouches, ammo pouches, grenades, things like that, and a P90, 
right? Just a small little P90. But I know that's enough. Like, this, this is exactly like the modern-day mankind warrior, right? And we're not carrying any pack. We're not carrying any loads. So we're not there for long. I'm trying. I'm starting to realize I am becoming cognizant of the situation, which is something that normally I would be more of like a, in a hypnotic state, hypnotic state of clear. So I'm actually making the memories and then becoming aware that I'm memorizing this. This is actually something that I'm becoming aware. And the feeling is like deja vu. The feeling is like a split from a moment into another moment. And it's as though if you were dreaming, you suddenly become instantly lucid and you you realize inside that dream that you are going to be able to remember this dream for the amount of agency, the amount of free will you are able to exercise in an otherwise uncontrollable experience known as a dream. This is why I know this is a memory within a memory because the memory is, is this situation where I'm standing with others who are in military gear and there's an officer who is dressed more in a diplomatic fashion and he's exchanging something with this reptilian who is dressed like a ceremonial knight and his entourage of other reptilians that are also dressed similarly as ornately now these reptilians because who wants to hear about us? these reptilians so that's how the memory started the memory started where i'm beginning to become self-aware i'm beginning to look around look around you know i'm seeing everyone what they look like oh no i look at myself in this reflection and i'm like this is what i look like am i looking at myself oh shit, i'm awake no i'm aware and when i then start becoming like this is me then that's that must be you kind of like look up like buggy's bunny type thing you know like oh like look up like oh shit like hey big fellow and, like, and it's this <sighs> Not shitting you. Over seven feet tall. I mean, I didn't measure him, but he's over seven feet tall to the point that I'm having to look up like this. I'm six foot three, right? This is like Andre the Giant size, like scale type individual. And it's reptilian. I'm assuming through my education right now that was a Draco leader, like an elite, an aristocrat, like an old blood, an old, you know, spawned specifically to be this large, intimidating, um, motivating presence within the ranks of the hive, the reptilians, right? ring silver it looks old it looks ancient like the i mean the actual creature looks old and ancient it has this feeling of being ancient like if you see a crocodile or you see like an alligator or a snake or a tortoise and you see that this tortoise like through the physical actions of it, its behavior its, its speed it's like you know its eyes like you see just something about it and you recognize that these creatures are much older than than you individually and really anyone individually like they're like 200 years old you know like the sky like 300 years old kind of thing like you can see it you can just fucking see it and it's like if someone picked up a crocodile put him on two legs like real human legs like like long bipedal legs gave him a night suit a, a fucking suit of armor like the best tailor made suit of armor I'm not talking like a dumb looking night suit I mean like a full on like they made armor for this thing because it is important and they wanted to honor it like they really like it's a it's like a general type thing it's like a diplomat whatever it was I don't know what the fucking what it was specifically but it looked like like it wasn't like ramshackle it wasn't like pots and pans and put all over it it wasn't rusted it wasn't like it was you know from a, it it looked like really good engraved metal armor like artistic and it looked asian 
Chinese specifically, especially the, the dragon face, the, the furrowed eyebrows, the weird wispy like whisker type things that had like like you know engraved in it and like the idea of it being plated it looked very asian like uh if you ever see like samurai armor it's like these these layers of plates you know and it looked not greek where it's this chest plate riveted out like a roman or like you know british or something where it's just like this big metal belly no but it looks like it was plates like you go plate 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 and the way that it was shingled together looked like scales so that you could see that it was ornately trying to recreate and exaggerate the physiology of reptilians specifically this crocodilian type leader the the um I mean, just feeling something trying to like crawl up in the water yeah, I'm just I'm just going crazy. But yeah, this uh this uh reptilian leader is entourage were much the same, but his entourage was different. It was hard to explain. They were not as physically imposing, but they seemed more single minded and focused. Like this thing, even though it was larger and it looked like it would like the size somehow factored into its authority the authority of its size did not factor into like fighting capabilities or actual like you know what it was intended purpose was it seemed to be like a coincidence like yes in their society as they age they get exponentially bigger but um their fighting is more reserved for the younger juvenile versions of themselves which are more athletic and more proportionally similar to human beings these were only about six foot five you know they were they were the equal size as i am i'm six foot three six foot four on a good day depending on what convenience store i'm coming out of right what kind of shoe i'm wearing these were about my size these were about the size of humans they were not bigger or girthier or stronger but they were about our size they were wearing the same kind of formatted armor they were less detailed and oriented they were more smooth Right. These were the reflective ar armors that we were able to see ourselves really into. And you kind of like see that but when I was looking around that we were alone standing on this field. There was a C-130 behind us. A C-130 with skis. Right. They were at a ship. The ship looked like a little black pyramid. Like the thing from Stargate, the Gaul ship that looks kind of like a turtle. It's like this like pyramid and it had like little scoots, little wings like a beetle. And it was more like a basic transport ship, like a smaller, but still capable of carrying around 30 of these individuals by estimation, right? That was kind of hovering, but parked, right? Snow was kind of falling on it, but didn't have any snow on it. So it had just got there. And I'm assuming they had exited, walked up to us. Uh, met us kind of like in a, a gesture of goodwill and trust. Our commanding officer, who was dressed in this dress uniform, but like the same naval uniform kind of captain, but he had the Zentai suit on underneath to keep him, you know, safe and preserved, but he still had the coat. It looked exactly like those kinds of coats that, you know, I would see in the Navy in my conventional career. I would have seen in those dreams. I would have seen in the media as naval top brass. These, this is a career naval officer. This is a captain. This is a commander. This is something like that, right? This is level. This is high. This is oak leaf, like and, and stars, you know, like admirals, things like that. Line, like these are. This man was serious about it, right? 
They're like they don't, they don't, they don't just hand those things out. You have to earn those the, every single every single epaulette, every single one of those brasses. You got to earn, right? Those medals. But he didn't have the medals on. It was obviously just this was someone who was important, and he was wearing this type of ceremonial parade outfit. And he handed him, you know, regardless of the, the actual weather gear, but he handed him something in a case, a aircraft case, which an aircraft case is like a, a, like a portable plastic hard case, and they're quite large. So I doubt he carried it. I'm pretty sure we carried it, and he was just kind of like ceremonially uh, handing it off to him, kind of this reptile, this reptilian. He's ceremonially handing whatever was inside this case. I'm not saying I knew what was inside this case. I never really saw what was inside this case. Handing it off to this reptilian in exchange, a possession of whatever this was. I don't know the circumstances. I just know that the reptilian, when they he reached down to grab it, didn't make contact with it, but placed his hand out in front of him, near it, and was able to kind of pick it up. Like, either through psychic power, through anti-gravity, through some kind of tractor-like glove. Like, he went like, he went like this, and then the thing kind of lifted up. And he was able to kind of, like, hold it like this, and kind of, like, you know, like, just kind of, like, inspect it, like, look at it. Kind of, even though he wasn't really opening it up, he just kind of, like, stood there for it for a second. And I saw the difference between the size and comparison of our human hands. And I have, I have very large hands, like, compared to my face. Like, see, like... You can see, like, I have very large um, hands and, and arms, you know, and I'm unfortunately a very large person, right? Their hands could have reached from here to here, like, fingertip-wise. Like, it, this this leader's hands could have, from here to here, like, completely across your chest. Like, it, from thumb to forefinger, you could have, see, like, like, from thumb, you could have looked like, like that, and it boom. It was fucking, I, it was obviously a different species, but this was like one of the things where I'm not talking about seeing either a diminutive gray or some kind of man-sized human. I'm talking about seeing something that is a fucking dinosaur. That's a fucking dinosaur. This thing was like, you know, I'm having to look up. It's doing this. It's mostly longer than it is tall. I'm not saying it's extremely long to the point of like, you know, 30 feet, 30 feet long, but I'm saying it's like, it's got a 10 foot long length because of its tail. Which I also, I need to mention, he had a tail. And it had a tail. It didn't have wings, but it had a tail. And its back armor was kind of like designed like Godzilla with like this scoot of metal, but not as pronounced or exaggerated as the actual spikes on Godzilla's back. But like designed like Godzilla with like this scoot of metal, but not as pronounced or exaggerated as the actual spikes on Godzilla's back. But they were, you know, like as if though you took natural crocodilian inspiration and created like spikes on the back to kind of keep the keep the kind of like fearsomeness up when it comes to the back as the because it was standing kind of like this where its head and its arms and its legs, but its tail kind of went like that. Like, you know, like it, it this kind of it kind of went out of angle, but then kind of like stubbed out. And it was stubby, much stubbier than you would think. Like kind of gave it a comical uh, appearance. Now, I don't know if that was done for cosmetics or that's their natural tail. Or maybe they just had this kind of like stub, like Gila monster tail, maybe lost it. You know, I don't know. When is he like stubby, fat, bulbous tail? Not like this long serpentine dragon type tail that's like whipping about, but like this stubby fucking fat chub tail. 
The other ones did not have tails. The other ones were like human beings, much like the elite from Halo. They were just humanoid, human beings, two arms, two legs. Um, they wore these masks that covered their faces and everything, so I did not see their faces. They were not ornamented, so they were not like indicative of anything. They were just kind of these fucking real utilitarian type, you know, plate armor type things. No. There were four of them. There were about six of us in total. Right? So, plus the officers. So there were six of us, plus the officers, about seven of us in total, four of them, uh, plus their leader. Right? So five in total. The four of them move around the box in lockstep precision. When one picked up his foot, they all picked up their foot feet at the same time. This was not a march, like a pre-planned performance. This was not just because they were so drilled. It was because they were working off a, a psychic link. It had to be. When one would gesture slightly with, with like his hand while, you know, moving, the other ones would do the same thing. And it was like four puppets, like four marionettes, you know, like, like it was like claymation kind of where, you know, it has that eerie sense of someone else is moving them when when they're moving and so they move like like you know like all four of them went like once and then twice and then they they made the distance and the only time they kind of broke is when one would stop and so like this crate's there right this thing's holding it and basically like inspecting it with his hands it's up they go to the four corners of the crate they kind of each take a position and then the thing turns and walks back to the ship that it must have obviously came from with and they follow the thing is floating behind they are following on all four points basically securing it um i don't know if they're assisting and lifting it at all but they are basically now like they have it they have secured it they they go they they basically go to the point of their ship and then um they're on it and then the ship is gone Right? There's really no explanation mechanically for how this happened. They didn't walk through a door. There was no ramp. Nothing like a chopper eye like came down like like an elevator and then brought them back up so you can go, well, at least they went through that way. No, this was just they went to a certain destination, a proximity of the ship, and then boom, they were they were then on board the ship, presumably. And the ship just silently took off and then flew very casually away. Did not immediately zip off or, or vanish out of sight or haul ass. It just went and it took off and within 30 seconds it was past the, the, the horizon and the eyesight. And we watched it happen. And then our commanding officer turned around just gave us, you know, let's go type signal. We all snapped too. I could feel the sense that I, I was very, very aware of myself. And at that point, while everyone kind of just, you know, instinctively or reflectively um, moved towards their, their future positions, like, you know, like they, they had turned around, they were going to walk back to the C-130 that was sitting there with its engines idling. I, I didn't, I, I hesitated, right? I'm incredibly aware. At this point, the commanding officer singles me out, notices me, and at that point approaches me, and then that's when the, the, the memory gets lost. That's when the memory gets fuzzy. I think I was put back under hypnotic control. Uh, some kind of psychic link was reestablished. That that point was diagnosed, and I was either uh, apprehended in having the memories uh, uh, edited out of, of 
my mind, screen memories, replaced it, whatever. I only recovered those memories, though, uh, around 2016, which was two full years after my separation with the Navy, uh, upon investigations and, and research of the Arctic, where the C-130 with the sleds triggered that memory of... You know, eventually of being on the C-130s, the memory that it started from, I said memory and inside memory, the memory that that started from that should not exist because there is no reason for it to exist because it didn't officially happen was my being in an Arctic base, having prepared and trained to survive and to operate in an Arctic facility controlled by the Navy and the Navy standards and Navy regulations, as well as flying and maintaining C-130s specifically made for frozen temperatures, ice storms, fogs, things like that. They have to be winterized. They have to be weatherized. They also have to have special wiring for electronics that related to like lights and light signals, radio transmissions, etc. And thus they need to be overhauled constantly by aviation electricians. Now, the thing with the Navy is that you are a watchman first and you can be trained and volunteer for special duties temporary assigned duties, TAD duties. And there's a huge precedent for aviation electricians joining things like the EOD in Afghanistan to help dispose of explosives. Thus, they are trained and qualified in the same operations that, say, special forces uh, use, the same land-nabbing skills, the same... um, you know, weapons qualifications, skills with uh, rifle and pistol, you know, other various armaments, um, things like that. There is a precedent for aviation electricians being put into these far-flung parts of the world in temporary assigned duty. Why would that not be the case for the secret space program? Why would that not be the case for these high-tech military industrial uh, clandestine operations, these covert worlds that are operating in the Arctic currently, that are operating with cooperation from extraterrestrials, using extraterrestrial technology, using techniques from ancient civilizations, etc. Basically, it's the stuff they don't want you to know, and that is a huge rabbit hole to experience, and it's woken up, and it's elicited by realizing that everyone has experiences with extraterrestrials, everyone has experiences with these extraordinary intelligent species that are not human which share our world these crypto-terrestrials, these ultra-terrestrials these interdimensionals everyone has these experiences and everyone needs to unlock their own memories to fully integrate themselves with reality fully integrate themselves with the plot as it is Basically, the more we do this individually, the more we are granted access to these Akashic records within ourselves. Because I don't think anyone's aware, anyone is awake to the fact of how extensive and universal these experiences are. How incredible the memories are once you recover them, how real they feel, how real they must be. Because they're felt first. I'm not saying every memory is right. There are screen memories, there's hypnosis, there's virtual reality memories. It's discernment that you have to ask for first. Discernment of the truth and discernment of your own life, like your real life. (coughs) Which you are entitled to, which you can never be robbed of. They can never, ever edit anything from the Akashic Records, which is kept on a spiritual, cosmic level for eternity. And is so the real written record of the universe. Knock and it shall be delivered to you. 
do some meditations on the Akashic Records. Do some meditations on your own experience, your own connection to the MyLabs, your own connection to these extraterrestrials. Reach out, not to fallen angels, but to angels of light, angels of positivity, your guardian angels, the real loyal angels of the heavenly hosts which are on the earth to help fill the duties of mankind connecting himself with God. And ask for not only their guidance, but ask for God's guidance, God's protection, specifically the protection that under Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Once that is asked for in humility and sincerity, once Akashic records are opened up and one's experiences involving things like the SSP are made privileged to you. Now, when you first encounter these things, they are going to be traumatic and they are going to be frightening uh, experiences to relive and rehold. Be prepared for that and be prepared to deal healthily with all the trauma and shock and, and, and deal kindly with yourself with patience. Don't force anything. Over the course of years, though, you will soon build a consistency in recovering of these memories to know and discern what is specifically real and happening to you and what is happening to not only you, but others and the context therein. Now, those are my experiences. Those are my big three. My big three extraterrestrial species that I've encountered. My labs for SSP humans and solar ward in the U.S. Navy, their secret space program, Grays, in whatever capacity I met them or, or dealt with them, um, whether it be my lab, our independent encounters with the Greys, or various servants of the Astro High Command. Oh, yes, and the Astro High Command. The Venusians. Right? And then the Reptilians. Right? Venusians, I consider part of my SSP experience, solar word experience. I consider this part of the real life um, Intergalactic Federation. Federation of Life, the Asher High Command is very real. It's very much different than what they want you to believe, though. It's not a utopian presence, but it is a system of humanoid warriors. Um, either the original Sons of Adam or the Sons of Lilith, but they are a, a divergent timeline, a divergent evolutionary path of humanity, um, specifically having mastered the existence and co and co coexistence with minerals with the consciousness provided by crystals and with other things like cosmic uh, matter and debris such as precious metals they have synthesized their own existence with these things and become something like native americans in which their culture is very animistic and very natural based but at the same time they are very into like um the strengthening of the soul the strengthening of the human character of their own character whether regardless of you want to call it human character or not it's indistinguishable from the values and virtues of humanity earth is a colony of the ashtar high command and um basically they, when you speak about the Asher Hackman, you're speaking about a type of human, like elves are a type of human, it's a cousin of human, it's a type of divergence of human. It is a uh, more lithe, agile, and physically um, athletic human, a human that has not allowed itself to have any inhibitions and has fallen for the sake of pure uh, pleasure and everything. But I have actually spent hours speaking about my Ashtar recovery, mem my memories of Ashtar contact. That is not a brief encounter that is not a brief uh thing that is an actual service and i did not experience that in this reality this 3d plane of existence right here like you know there see, see this is all part of this 3d reality it's a plane that i'm currently existing in that was done in the 20 year back time triangulation efforts of a solar warden in divergent timelines and uh possible multiple realities 
you know, like as they are divergently, you know, separated by differences of occurrence and events. That was more astral. That was more psychic as well as the physical component and everything. But those memories are memories that I'm relegated to the 20 year back survival, the 20 year back experience, those many different splintered selves that I'm recovering in the cast records. And so I have already can, uh, spoken about those at great length. You can find the episodes in the podcast, Rumors of Instinct podcast. They were some of my earlier uh, explorations of the subject personally, as well as uploaded to YouTube. As sorry, as well as uploaded to YouTube, and as my recovered memories of the Ashtar High Command um, within the Solar Warden. That's what those videos are called. I speak for hours. I think four hours in total talking about my experiences that I've recovered uh, working with uh, Toth, Raw, and and Hermes Trespagistus trying to knock and, and recover my uh, records, my Kashuk records, my true life experiences, my many, many, many thousands of life experiences, you know, lived simultaneously. Like this is more Doctor Who than it is Star Trek. It's not just one individual in his career in space. It's like the one individual and his awareness and unlocking of the many millions of possible alternate realities, worlds, timelines, uh, events, dimensions that that individual occupies simultaneously with each other, and then their exploitation therein to recruit and conscript as many of those through a soul contract with the original, the prime, the baseline, me. Ma, you know, like the dude, right? Like this is the baseline soul, and all the other souls deviate either uh, closely or, or as far as possible from this original baseline, though. And they recruit and conscript those realities using the data that they get from this reality, me, and thus they have the power over them to direct their futures to help. Because this is not a war in our one progress of timeline this is a war over the many thousands of timelines this is a war over the many many different multiverses and, and the folds of reality itself so in those experiences that I described were just my my uh, encounters on this timeline in this 3D plane of existence that I call baseline that I call prime that I'm currently in experiencing and sharing with you this baseline that we all share and that the other universes are maybe only individually made aware of us through our own mastery of ourselves we are our own gate as well as the key to the gate and the way through the gate we are before the gate and after the gate inside the gate and outside the gate we are the gate so thank you very much for letting me express myself thank you all out there in dreamland iron sharpens iron a friend sharpens a friend this is rumors of instinct 1987 check out the podcast rumors of instinct uh you can find it on spotify overcast breaker free radio republic google podcast apple podcast uh anchor himalaya i mean there's just dozens of services that i've uploaded it to and I, I stream it through rss services so check out the it, check it out if you haven't already uh through one of those services that provide podcasts anywhere podcasts are found subscribe to it check out the new episodes it has a portfolio and library of 48 episodes currently and it's growing um several episodes per week check out the videos i posted on youtube which are also mirrored on library and odyssey if it's on youtube it's going to be under rumors of instinct 1987 if it's going to be library and odyssey it's going to be under rumors of in rumors of war 1987 which is my original name i can't change it now because of the wallet situation you know bitcoin wallet and stuff um you should check out the 
Instagram at Rumors of Instinct. If you're not already watching this on Instagram TV, you should check out the Twitter, Rumors of Instinct. I have a Facebook page as well if you guys want that for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, definitely consider supporting on Patreon or PayPal, uh, both at Rumors of War 1987, Patreon.com, Rumors of War 1987, PayPal.me, Rumors of War 1987. Remember, if everyone donates a dollar, you guys can keep me help, uh, you know, healthy, alive, thriving, and creating, committed to this community and the content that I'm providing, uh, sharing experiences, reaching out, building up communities of fellow independent artists, creators, and basically creating this uh, new wave, new decade, new generation of um, creatives that have admitted to ourselves the awakened community, the enlightened community, the Gnostic community, that our spirituality, our freedom, our individuality is um, worth the fight, is worth the effort, is worth the commitment to. So thank you all very, very much out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all. It's been my honor to bring you guys my chronology of close encounters in this 3D realm with aliens and extraterrestrials. So thank you all very, very much. God bless you and your families. Peace out. Let's go sunning. It's so good for you. Let's go sunning. Need the sky of blue. Greet the sun every morn. Feel as free and happy as the day you were born. Let's go, native. Sun your cares away. Be creative. Learn to live and play. Pretty flowers need the sun. This applies to everyone. Life's worth living. When nature's given happiness to everyone, so let's go sunning. away be creative learn to live and play pretty flowers need the sun this applies to everyone life's worth living when nature's given